morning, church. I'm so glad you're here today. If you're new around here, I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at the Bridge Goldsboro. I'm super pumped that you're here. We're in a series called Fake News, Lies We Believe. Today we're talking about a cliche we've all heard, every man for himself. You ever heard that? If there was a fire in here by accident, many of you would say, let's be orderly. Some of you would say, come on, help me out. Every man, somebody said peace out. I love it. Yeah, that was too. Every man for himself. Uh, every man for himself has got us into trouble. It's a lie in society that we believe because we think, hey, that's probably the best thing to do. And we realize this because there's a lot of self-centeredness involved in that. And underneath that lie is, is actually some destruction. We're going to talk about how society kind of plays a role in this, in feeding us this. Uh, I have some products up here that we probably have all used or heard of. Um, how many of you use products like L'Oreal? How many guys are like, yeah, I'd love to get my hands on some of that? Right, there's some hair dye, multifaceted shimmering color, right? All right, <laughs> you guys aren't biting. So th- th- these slogans of these companies, L'Oreal, it, it actually feeds a self-centeredness. Um, by the way, I have nothing against any of these companies, but I just want to talk about um, some, some of the slogans that we have here. Uh, this actually, L'Oreal, the slogan is, because I'm worth it. Because I'm worth it. It was actually started by a girl back in the 70s. She was 23. Uh, she was a feminist. And she got the idea that, hey, it's this self-motivation, this self-thing. And, and it actually caught on quick. And it actually started a movement. And so L'Oreal became the company that everybody went to. Uh, because I'm worth it. This one uh, is Burger King. How many of you know the slogan of Burger King? Have it your way. That's close, but no cigar, because it was have it your way. In 2014, they actually changed it to be your way. And the marketing folks said, you know what? It's not enough just to talk about having your way when it comes to pickles and onions. They said, we want it to be more of a life change. So they they basically said, be your way is indicative of we want people to understand they can do what they want, when they want, and how they want in life. And so he wanted to appeal more towards the emotional aspect of people and not just talk about Hamburgers, although they are charboiled and delicious, right? Um, how many of you know this? The Golden Arches, the home of the dollar menu. How many of you like that dollar menu? Um, a long time ago, back in the 70s, uh, the slogan was, you deserve a break today. You deserve a break today. And then in the early 2000s, it changed to, we love to see you smile. And we love that so much. Today, the slogan is, somebody yelled it. I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm loving every bit of that because they're talking about me, myself, and I. I deserve a break. They want to see me smile, and I'm loving that. And so th- this last one here uh, is, a, is a famous company that we all know, of a famous fruit. Um, and we all have uh, at least one Apple product or know somebody who does. Um, but this is home of the iMac and the iPhone and the iPod and iTunes. Uh, the Me Mac, the Me Phone, the Me Pod, and the Me Tunes. That's really what that means. I just opened a bunch of your eyes right there. You had no idea that that little I in front meant me. Yeah, it does. It means mine. And get your own, right? And so, um, yeah, I I have no problem with any of these companies. In fact, um, I was here last week, and that's the reason why I have these bags, because I was there eating some delicious hamburgers. But I I just wanted to make a point that companies like this literally advertise to us with self in mind. Nothing wrong with these companies. But the idea as we walk through life is that it should be about us. It should be about me. 
And so the overlying principle here is we, we are in a society that constantly bombards us with it's all, about, it's all about you. These represent ideals in society that tells us that, you know what, being self-centered is a good thing. Because if you're not you, then you can't be who you need to be for somebody else. And so they market it to us like, hey, it's all about you. So much so, and it's so attractive to us that we jump on the bandwagon. We, we jump at the opportunity to be marketed to this way. It's this every man for himself attitude. Do you know where the term every man for himself actually came from? It was recorded in history as early as 1600s or so. But in uh, the colonial days when the British were actually fighting, um, they actually used this as an order. And it actually uh, was used during retreat. That was the only time every man for himself was used was during retreat, whenever they were being defeated, meaning at a time when order could no longer be had, when the team, the troops could no longer fight together, they would scream retreat, everybody would run for their lives just trying to escape just with their very life. And every man for himself was the order. I just kind of want you to, to get the picture of that. Every man for himself meant things had gone from being in order to being in chaos. So we're not winning at life when we have this every man for himself attitude, when we have a self-centered attitude, in actuality, defeat is actually happening. Whether we know it or not, whether we sense it, we are actually headed down a path of defeat when we have a self-centered attitude. Today, uh, we look at what God has to say. Hopefully, we want to know what God has to say about it. And let me just tell you the fact, it is not God's will for us to be self-centered. The attitude of me, myself, and I, and it's only about me, that, that is not from God. But today, we, we look past that. It's normal for us to look at ourselves first. And then, only then, after we've looked at ourselves, then we look at somebody else, and we look at their needs. And that's only if we have enough time or we, we have enough emotional capacity to be able to do that. But that's not what Jesus wants us to do. Matter of fact, God never said anything about that. In fact, it's the actual opposite. If we go all the way back to the beginning, where the Garden of Eden was there, and God made Adam, and he put Adam in the garden, and he gave him some jobs to do, and Adam's there. At, at some point, God looked at Adam and proclaimed, it is not good for him to be alone. It's not good for him just to focus on himself. He needs somebody else. He needs a relationship. And then we fast forward to the New Testament where Jesus comes along thousands of years later, and we still see the, uh, the, the value that God puts on relationships within the context of the church even. In fact, Jesus said like this. He said, other people are going to know that you're my church by the love you have for each other. It's not just about you and yourself. It's about pouring yourself out for somebody else. But today we look past it. We, we look at ourselves first, and then if we have enough emotional capacity or time or, or we have enough to give, then we, we give to somebody else. And we like to believe that we don't do that, but it comes all too natural for us to do. I was at a church conference uh, a few years ago, and um, there was this profound speaker that was that was speaking, and this was a, a lady who was uh, very wealthy. She actually grew up in opulence and wealth, one of the, probably the top 10 uh, wealthiest families in the Middle East, and she gave up every single bit of that to go to the poorest place in Egypt and minister and take in orphans and poor folks and people that just could not, I mean slum, what we consider poor, it, not even what, compared to what 
what she ministered to. And she spent an hour talking to literally hundreds of thousands of people about stories and, and tears flowed from her eyes, stories of how she poured out and how God fills her up and, and the joy that she has by pouring herself out, by pouring into other people so selflessly. And, and so after the, the session was done, about an hour or so, you could hear a pin drop in the room. I mean, ev- no one could say anything. We were stunned. We were moved. We were inspired. Uh, tears. I mean, we just wanted to help people. It was almost like looking at a, at a Mother Teresa-type figure, the most humble person you've ever met in your life, and to look at what she gave up simply to pour into other people. And so we're sitting you know, at a table during the break, and some of the folks from our church are there, and we're just, all we can do is think about ways that we could help people in our own city. And we're, we're coming up with ideas, and we're brainstorming, and, and we don't know what we're going to do. We just know we want to do something. That's how moved we were. And there was one of our guys on staff was at the other end of the table, and he's on his computer, and he's kind of in our conversation, but not, and he's kind of listening, um, and he's typing away at his computer, and so we start naming different spots in, in our city that we could go, and, and all of a sudden, he chimes in. He goes, I wouldn't go there if I were you. There's thugs there. And we're like, Is he, did he just hear the same session we did? You know, and, and we're, we keep going and kind of ignore him a little bit, and the next thing, he, he says, man, he said, y'all are crazy. He said, I wouldn't go there without a gun. And we're kind of looking, and we're, we're kind of thrown off, you know. And, and eventually, he pulls his computer uh, plug out, and he's actually speaking at the church service the next week. He says, well, I'm going to go off over here. I've got to finish my message this week. I'm speaking on love. <laughs> and we were like, what? We couldn't believe what we just heard. We, we were thinking, were you just in the session that we were in? But it's easy to believe that we're not self-centered. It's easy to believe that. It's another thing entirely to break outside of what society tells us and get uncomfortable and actually invest in somebody else when we don't expect anything else in return, when there's no promise of a return at all. Here's the truth. The desire to care only for yourself does not come from God. It doesn't. In fact, Proverbs 18.1 says that and it's an unfriendly person that pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. It's an unfriendly person that does that. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, you think about being selfish, well, it's because you, you're constantly looking inward. In every situation you go into, if anybody tries to offend you or offend that or offend your motives, you automatically put walls up because you've got your own goals in mind. You've got your own path you're going on, and you, no one come hell or high water is going to come in between that. And so you're constantly putting up walls and cost-benefit analysis of what I should and should not get involved in. Is this going to affect me in a good way? And so you can imagine how that starts fights, how that starts quarrels, right? Because if somebody comes up against me, my walls go up, and I immediately come against that. Well, now there's an unnecessary quarrel that just happened. And you do that enough in life with your family, with your friends, you're seen as unfriendly. And that's why the verse says it's an unfriendly person that pursues selfish ends. In fact, the the every man for himself attitude, that self-centered attitude, it gives way to consequences in life. It does every single time. I'm going to give you three real quick. The first one is degenerating families. You'd be shocked at how many marriages end because one or both spouses feel that they have the right to have their needs met. It happens all the time. But what happens when you have two spouses that are doing that? They have that same attitude. Both spouses have a right to have their own needs met. You can just imagine the train wreck. So it's endless fights with no ends. Nothing good comes out of it. Oftentimes, even Christians, even, even the, 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 the best intended, intended Christians, they only agree to make adjustments based on the fact that their needs are going to be met. 
<laughs> and so it starts out good. They kind of make some adjustments, and they go, and both spouses kind of go on with the idea that my needs are going to be met in this, and I'll make adjustments simply based on the fact that they're going to meet my needs, and when that ceases to exist, they bail, and marriages end. It happens all the time, and, and at first, like again, things seem like they're going good, but then all of a sudden, at the end of the day, my needs aren't met, and, and, and I bail. It's, let me tell you, it's not about the dishes. It's never about the in-laws. It's never about money. Ten out of ten times, it is a self-centered issue. Ten out of ten times. Every single time, it is that I am focused on me and myself and my needs being met, and it's an unwillingness to, to lay down my life for somebody else, which, by the way, is when real relationships happen. And marriage is in. It disintegrates families. And the ripple effect reaches so far to kids, to parents, to siblings, to in-laws, to friends, to anybody that your marriage or your life has influence in. All of a sudden now people are looking at it in an unhealthy way. Did you know that we now have the highest divorce rate in history? It's true. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Until people start looking primarily at the best interest of their spouse, divorce, divorce lawyers are going to be in business. They will. It's a fact. Self-centeredness destroys families. Another consequence to the uh, every man for himself attitude is superficial relationships. Superficial relationships. At the center of me is, is me. <laughs> it's my dreams. It's, it's my goals. It's my needs. It's basically my life. And, and since real relationships require giving yourself up for somebody else and them for you, the only product of a self-centered life is superficial relationships. In other words, I, I can't let anybody get close enough to me for me to actually give myself up for them. So I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length, and all my relationships say shallow. And it might be fun for a while, because I've got my own goals, and I've got my own needs, and I'm pushing myself forward. But if, you're gonna, if, if, if I let somebody come into my life close enough, where I've actually got to give up something that I wanted for me in order to meet their need, well, I'm not going to do that. And so I'm going to keep you at arm's length, and I keep everybody at arm's length. We may have fun but you're never going to be able to meet my deepest need, and I'm never going to be able to meet yours because we're never going to get that close. And so superficial relationships are the byproduct of a self-centered life. Uh, a while back, there was a well-known leader in the U.S. who hosted a business lunch uh, for Fortune 500 CEOs. So there were some big wigs, men and women in the room eating lunch, and one of the CEOs said in a conversation, I'm going to quote, I've spent my entire life climbing the corporate ladder only to reach the top and realize I've been climbing the wrong ladder. In order to reach his goals, in order to reach his dreams, he had to sacrifice relationships, and they ended up being the ones that were closest to him, his family. And once he reached his goals, he realized he had the wrong goals. His closest relationships suffered because of it. Deep relationships, real relationships, the ones that God intended for you to bring joy, for you to give joy, they require giving yourself up for someone else and then giving themselves up for you. And self-centered lifestyles don't permit you to do that. They, they, they don't. And so all the relationships have to be superficial. And they may be joyful at times. They may even be fun. But they're never going to meet your deepest need because they always stay shallow. Uh, there's another consequence. Every man for himself, that attitude. A third consequence is despair. Despair. And that, that sounds funny. And that may even, even sound extreme. But if self is at the, at the center of your universe... At some point, you're going to realize that self isn't enough to carry you. Because all it takes is one crisis. 
I've seen people do this and they've got willpower and they have drive and they have success based on their talent and their ability and they go and it takes one crisis to make them fall flat on their face and they realize that they don't have what it takes to get them through and all of a sudden they find their deepest need is people around them. Their deepest need is God to give them strength. Their deepest need is a healing or their deepest need is someone to love them. They find that in all of their pomp and everything that they wanted, their deepest need really to sustain life was a relationship. There was a, a high-rolling banker on Wall Street, and he was quoted by saying, I'm, I'm the master of my own universe. Just, I mean, he would tell people this, and then a car wreck at some point in his life left him unable to care for himself. And he realized right then, I'm not the master of my own universe. He still tried to be, though. And it, all it takes is one situation like that for you to realize that, you know what, you're not in control. One situation like that shows you how much control you don't have. And you have a decision to make right then. Am I going to take self out of the center and put something else there? Or am I going to keep spiraling? And unfortunately, this particular gentleman decided to keep spiraling, not on purpose, but he made a decision to say that there is no God. And he kept spiraling further and further. He spiraled into despair. When you make yourself the center of your life, despair is the only end result. And I'm telling you, it may take a while for certain people to get there because they have drive, they have talent, they've got more willpower, but you will eventually realize that you can't control everything. You'll eventually realize that there are situations in your life that come up that you absolutely have no uh, provision for. And you need a higher power. You need God. You need strength. You need people to come on around side of you and give you encouragement and to give you meaning and for God to give you direction in life. Those are just three consequences of an of every man for himself attitude. Degenerating families, superficial relationships, and despair. And I could really quit there, but that's depressing. I don't want to stop right there. Let's, let's talk about ways we can curb this. What can we do? What is the antidote to, to living outside of a self-centered lifestyle and actually one that pours out? Which, by the way, when you're pouring out, you're opening yourself up for other people to pour in. Well, the Proverbs 28, 25 it kind of says everything I just summed up really simply. It says, selfishness only causes trouble. So what's the antidote to get out of that? How do we get out of that? If that verse is true, what's, what's the solution? You know what I've realized? I've realized that uh, we want to be unselfish, but we don't want to do anything about it because we're selfish. <laughs> we want to be unselfish, but we don't want to make the changes it takes because we're inherently selfish. If you don't believe me uh, that we're inherently selfish, go home and tell your baby that you want your baby to take a nap from this time to this time. And when they get up, you don't want them to do anything in their diaper. You would like for them to go on the potty and you want them to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And you want to make sure that they, your baby's going to look at you and just cry. They don't care. When they wake up, guess what? They've done a number one and a number two in their pants. And by the way, it's the biggest one this week so far. And they want you to clean it up. Why? Because we are inher they're inherently selfish from birth. When, when you tell a child uh, you want them to do something, what well, some of their first words are, no. You know, they don't care. They, no, they're not doing it. We have to be taught to not be self-centered. We're inherently selfish. So we, we, we don't want to admit that we're selfish. We actually don't want to be selfish, but we don't want to do anything that it takes to be unselfish. My, my brother told me that he wanted to want to quit smoking. <laughs> I said, dude, I said, you need to give that up. I know, I, I need to give it up. He says, I, I, really, I really need to quit, but I don't want to. <laughs> He's like, I want to want to, but I don't want to. I was like, well, you got to start somewhere, I guess. At least, <laughs> at least you have an understanding. Um, but what I realized is that selfishness can hide in us. And we want to be unselfish, but 
selfishness can kind of hide in us because uh, to be, because we, here, here's how it can hide. I never let people get close enough to me to actually pour myself out. Because if a real relationship, if real unselfishness requires letting someone get close enough to me for me to actually pour myself out, if I never let you get close, then I never have to do anything for you. In fact, I can hold you at arm's length and all my giving, anything I do, it just becomes when it's convenient for me. I give it my time. I give it my pleasure. I give of my own resources when I have plenty to give. I never let you get close enough where it actually costs me something because I don't ever see your real need. And you never get close enough to me where you actually see my real need. I just hold you at arm's length. And on the outside, I look fine. I smile. I serve in church. I come in here. I do all this stuff. But you never actually get close enough to me to see my need. And I never actually get close enough to you to see your real need. You know what that means? I never have to give up anything for you. Not that counts. And so I can walk around with a big smile on my face. And all the while, I'm selfish on the inside and have no idea. Real relationships require me giving myself up for you. And that's the definition of, of living for yourself. It's, it's, I give on my time. I give on my uh, timetable. I, I give when it's convenient for me. But is that okay to do? Is that really what we're called to do? What's the antidote here? I asked that a question a minute ago. Well, I think we need to look at what Jesus did, because if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, Christians, then that's probably worthwhile to do, to look how, what, how Jesus handled himself whenever he was here on this earth. Because he was a human being. He was tempted to be selfish just like we are, but yet somehow he did it perfectly. So I think it would be good to look at what he did. And he did several things, um, but the first thing he did was he built strong relationships. And that's the first antidote. If you want to get out of a self-centered lifestyle or get out of the, the being blinded that you're self-centered and don't even realize it, build strong relationships. Can I just ask you, I asked this earlier, is anybody in the room perfect? Let's quit pretending like we are then. Let's, let's stop pretending like we're not inherently selfish. Because if you're perfect, man, we've got a place for you in the lobby. We're going to worship you after the service is over. We have a seat set up. We're going to wave palm branches at you and, and feed you grapes and all kinds of stuff. You're going to be worshipped here if you're perfect because that means you're right there with Jesus. But guess what? I'm being so facetious right now. None of us are perfect. So as I'm talking about this stuff, I don't want you to go, oh, it's not for me. No, it is for you. It's for me too. Because we're all something called human beings and we're all sucking air right here on this earth, Right? That makes us imperfect. That means we're all inherently selfish. So when I talk about these antidotes, I want you to say, hey, I, I need to hear this. And the first thing that Jesus did, and by the way, if he did it, then we should probably take note, is he built strong relationships. He did. He built strong relationships. He had, he had 12 guys around him that he discipled. He ministered to thousands of people, but he discipled 12. And within that 12, there were three guys that he actually poured into even more. He had an inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. And if, if you remember the stories, there were certain things that they got to see that the other disciples didn't get to see. There were healings that they got to see and miracles that Jesus pulled them in on uh, that others didn't get to see. Um, one of them was the, the transfiguration when Christ turned. You, you probably remember the story. And there were um, Elijah and Moses that were already dead, came to visit him and see, and they, their eyes got open, and nobody else got to see that but Peter, James, and John. There was one issue or one circumstance where Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. He raised several people, but that one particular one, Peter, James, and John got, got to go to and nobody else did. Uh, Peter, um, all these guys were going to help start the first church. Peter was the one that, that actually kind of stood up to preach, and when the first church actually started, 3,000 people got saved that first day because of Peter's message. And Peter was the one that denied Jesus. Jesus had a strong relationship with Peter. 
Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Peter said, I'll never leave you, Jesus. Then when the rubber met the road and Jesus gets arrested and everybody scatters, they start saying, hey, aren't, aren't you with him too? Peter's like, nope, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And so, and so after it's all said and done, Jesus raises from the, from the dead, and guess what? He goes and finds Peter. And he wants to find Peter because he wants to restore him. Why? Because he loves Peter, and Peter loves Jesus. It was a strong relationship that he had with Peter. One of the disciples named John was the only one that was recorded to be at the foot of the cross whenever Jesus died. And Jesus looks at him from the cross and his mother Mary sitting there and he says that this is going to be your son and this is going to be your mother. As he's dying, he entrusts the care of his mother to this disciple. Why? Because he had a strong relationship with him. He poured in to him. He had friends, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You remember the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead? His two sisters were Mary and Martha. They lived in a little home in Bethany. Jesus spent lots of time there. Uh, he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, Mary and Martha and their friends, they were mourning. And it was, Jesus raised several people from the dead. This is the only time that he actually looked at the procession and looked at the mourning from the people and was so moved that he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That was it. It was because of the strong relationship he had with these people. He poured into them. They poured into him and met his needs. If you want to get out of the, the vein of being self-centered, which, by the way, our society, without us even knowing it, just markets it to us. <laughs> if you want to get out of that vein, build strong relationships because it's going to get you close enough to people where you see their need and they see yours and you're able to give yourself up for them and them for you. In fact, Jesus said it's, it's vital that you do that. He said, people aren't even going to know you're my church unless you do that. He, he said in John 15, he said, I, I demand that you love each other just like I love you. He said, that's how people are going to know that you're my church. He said, the greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends. That's what he said in John 15. In September, we're going to be promoting something called Bridge Groups. You've heard me talk about this. In October, we're going to start them. That's a great place to, to, to meet people, and it's a great place to join the church and get out of the realm of just sitting in here listening to me talk for an hour. But bridge groups, I've heard people talk all the time and say, I need some help. I need some friends in my life who can not be like the friends I was, was hanging out with and kind of help surround me. Um, I need some church friends, they say. And I know what they mean. They I mean they want some friends that can pour into them. And bridge groups is a part of that. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on getting close to somebody. Because they're going to be 12 weeks at a time. And then we're going to take a month off and then do 12 more weeks. And you can keep the same group or go into another group. They're going to be topical. And you'll, during our promotion months, you'll be able to see what groups we have available. Don't miss out on that. I, I encourage you, get involved in a group. Get close enough to people where, where you can find out what it truly means to have real relationships. Can I be honest with you? When, when you come in here, it, it's all about me and you. It's kind of self. It's not hard to come here. Would you agree to that? It's not hard. I mean, you drive here in your air-conditioning car, most of us. Most of us didn't come in a horse and buggy. You come in, you got people waving at you, you find a parking place, people are smiling at you when they come in. Some people, I mean, they're smiling at you. You have no idea what's going on in their lives, but they're smiling for you. You pull in here, we got ushers to help, hand you whatever you need to have. You come in, you sit in an air-conditioned room. If you're a first-time guest, we give you free stuff. It's good, man. You listen to an encouraging message from me, and, and then you leave happy or at the very least encouraged. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard at all. It's easy. You know what's difficult? It's getting close enough to somebody to see their need and give yourself up for them. 
Now, coming here does absolutely nothing in terms of feeding uh, my spirit in a way that pulls me away from self-centeredness. It kind of sounds funny to say, but this kind of feeds self-centeredness a little bit because it's all about us. It's all about you. It's all about we just come in here and we take in, and it's good. It's designed to be that way. We want to encourage you, but we want to do so in such a way that propels you forward when you leave here and puts you in relationship with people that you can understand that you need and they need you. If you want to walk away from being self-centered, if you want to walk away and take steps from a self-centered lifestyle that our society feeds us, then build strong relationships. Do what Jesus did. Get close enough to people that you're able to pour yourself out and know what their need is and then pour out with you. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Practice self-denial. Now, that sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Practice self-denial. That, that sounds weird. It sounds like I'm going to put a donut in front of me and just see how long it takes before I can eat it. You know, it sounds like some weird practice to do. Uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about running from opportunities to give of yourself. D don't run from opportunities to give of yourself. When you practice self-denial, don't run from opportunities that you have to give up of yourself. When somebody is in need of just an ear, then what yourself says is, I don't have time for this. Every time. <laughs> I don't care if you like them or not. Yourself will say, I've got somewhere else to be. Right then, deny yourself. You have opportunities all the time. Here's another one. When somebody confronts you about something, and, they, and you know you're friends with them, or, or they, they love you, maybe they're family, and they confront you, your immediate reaction is to build up a wall. Immediately. And all you're thinking is, is when they shut their mouth, I'm going to fire back. <laughs> we all do it. I don't care how much you love them. I don't care how much they love you. That's your reaction internally at first, because you're human and we're self-centered naturally. You have to practice self-denial. You know what that means? Listen. Hear their heart. Deny self. You know what? Even I, I found that even when people are being malicious towards you, there's typically a kernel of truth in what they're saying that you can take and make yourself better. There is. But if you feed yourself, if you listen to yourself, because self will be talking, I can promise you that. If you listen to that, you're going to miss it completely, and you could potentially destroy a relationship. That's why families are disintegrating because of self. So when somebody confronts you, self says, build up walls and wait to lash out. Deny yourself. Practice self-denial. When, when you know, let me just get in your grits for a minute. When you know that you should be honoring God with certain parts of your life, Maybe when it comes to money or when it comes to tithing and the biblical principle of being generous. You know what self says? Self says this, and in me and in you, it says, I, I work hard for that. Self says, no, you know what? Being generous is going to set you back. Self says, there is no way that I'm going to do that because they don't need it. They have other people to do that, and they have ulterior motives. Self will tell you all kinds of things to push you back. Deny self. You're going to have opportunities all the time. Jesus said it like this in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He said, if anybody wants to follow me, they have to do a couple things first. They have to deny themselves and then take up their cross daily and follow me. And we listen to that and we're like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean, I mean, you know what we really typically think it means? We think it means we're supposed to do some good stuff and not do some bad stuff. <laughs> That's what it means. But what did Jesus do? Well, just, you know, I can't crucify myself on a cross, so I'll just do some good stuff. We think it means to be more like Jesus. But the interesting thing is, that might be the end result, but that is not what the audience that he said this to heard. And we have to take it in context. 
and understand he was talking about something a little bit different. Because when we talk about the cross, we associate it with Christianity. We associate it with a good thing. When he says, take up your cross, we're like, be like Jesus. But the audience that he was talking to, you know what they knew the cross to be? A torture device. The, the Romans would take people and they would crucify people on a cross. They, 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 would, they, would, they were master executioners in the sense that they would pin you to a cross. They, they knew how to, how to take a railroad spike and stick it through your wrist and miss your arteries. And they knew exactly how to do it so you could, they could hang you on a cross. They, they knew how to torture you in such a way where you never even, you never even thought uh, that, that you were going to die because they would keep you there for days. And you wouldn't bleed out. In fact, most people had to, they had to break people's kneecaps so that they would, they would suffocate. And what I mean by that is when you were hanging on a cross, you would actually go down and hang like that, and your, your rib cage and your lungs would collapse, and you couldn't take a breath. And you were excruciating pain hanging from your wrist. And then you would push up on, on your legs, and it would be excruciating here, just so your lungs could fill up with air and take a breath, and then back down again. And you'd go from excruciating pain pushing up to excruciating pain uh, tr trying to let down and pull up. And it was this back and forth thing. In fact, it got so bad, sometimes they'd get tired of it after a day or two, and they would break the kneecaps of the people that were up there so they couldn't push up anymore, and they would eventually just die of suffocation. Now, Jesus never had his bones broken. It was a prophetic word back in the Old Testament that none of his bones were broken. They pierced his side, and blood and water flowed out, and he, he died. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. But the cross was not this ooey-gooey good feeling like it is to us. We wear it on shirts. We put it on necklaces, charm bracelets. We put it on the side of church buildings. It's just a great thing for us. Back for them, they, they would have thought we were demented and sick. It'd be like going down the road and seeing a church building with an electric chair on the side of it and that being our banner. Weird. Sick. What, what Jesus was saying, and they understood it plainly, is that when you take up your cross, death is imminent. Something has to die. And that thing is self. That's what he was saying. He was saying, you've got to deny yourself, kill it. And it's got to be just as, as powerful and bold as, as symbolism of somebody hanging on a cross. They knew death was coming. It was horrible. He's saying, that's what you have to do to self. You have to kill it. And, and self can, people can live off scraps. You realize that? Self can live just feeding it a little bit, a little bit of time. I do a lot of good, and, and, and it's a little bit of self. It can still live. What he was saying is it has to die. You've got to kill it. He was saying if you starve it, it'll eventually die. You have to starve self. When you have opportunities for self to come up, he's saying kill it. Deny self. You have to deny yourself and then pick up your cross, knowing that you're going to kill it. He says deny it daily. You know what that tells me? That means every day you're going to have opportunities to be selfish. Say, welcome to the human race. I'm, I'm human, okay? So are you. Every single day, it's not a one-time decision that you make once and feel good about. He's saying every single day you've got to wake up and say, today I'm going to decide to deny myself, take up my cross and follow, me, follow Christ. Anything good that's going to come into my life is going to come because of that. Not because, not because of me. Take every opportunity, he says, and practice self Denial. If you want to get out of a vein that is self-centered, if you want to get out of a lifestyle, even if you don't even realize you are, He's saying you've got to build strong relationships and you've got to practice self-denial. You have opportunities every day to do that. Right, we get selfish simply after a long day and we don't want to deal with the kids or we don't want to deal with making supper and we plan around it. <laughs> we don't want to do it. He's saying deny yourself. You take that as an opportunity to deny yourself. 
another place daily, we, we get selfish at our job. We work really hard for stuff. And when somebody else tries to come in and take the accolades, buddy, that wall goes right up. And we're like, yep, <laughs> come and take this. Whatever that looks like for you, we wanna, we're ready to kill. Deny yourself. Be humble. It can even be as simple as sitting around on, and thinking of what you're going to watch on TV. And you're there with your spouse, and she wants to watch The Bachelor because it's rose ceremony night and one-on-one dates and fantasy suites. And he wants to watch Mythbusters because they're getting ready to blow up a refrigerator. You know? And, and by the way, any dude that wants to watch fantasy suites and one-on-one dates and rose ceremony, there's something wrong with that. But I'm not going to go there. He's talking about... I'm being funny. He's talking about opportunities to deny, deny yourself every day. And you have opportunities in the small stuff to deny yourself. You know, they're, they're small opportunities, but they go a very long way when it comes to preparing yourself for bigger opportunities. The band's going to come up now, but I want you to focus in on what I'm saying. Because if, 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 if I can give up the TV, then I can give up my time to help somebody in need. If, if you can let somebody have the credit at work, then you can put your spouse's need ahead of your own. If, if I can give up some of my resources for a needy family, then I can give up my life for Jesus, the one that gave everything for me. And so it's, it's not about trying to make these big, huge decisions primarily. You know what it is? It's daily making the small decisions to deny myself. He's not asking us to be perfect, but he's asking us to deny our selfish nature and follow him. And as difficult as this seems, sometimes you have to understand the benefit's for you. The, the benefit is, is for you. When I'm self-centered, nobody gets in. And I don't get out. When you have your hand balled up like this, this is an old proverb. When you have your hand balled up like this, yeah, nothing's getting out of there. Your time's not getting out. Your emotions aren't getting out. All your goals are yours. Your resources aren't getting out. But nothing's coming in either. You're not getting fed. You're not getting what you need. But as soon as you open your hand like this and you're able to give of your time, you're able to give of your resources, your energies, maybe you sacrifice some of your own goals for somebody else. When your hand's open like that, guess what? You actually are, are prepared and positioned to receive too. And that's the way God wants it. But so many times we, we, live, we live like this. We're just consumers. And, and I, I just got to tell you, being a consumer it doesn't open, open yourself up to, to receive anything because everything's crowded here. But you know what's crazy is I can very easily move this stuff. It's not hard to do. I mean, this, this stuff's kind of light. You know, it's not, it's not hard. I, I can move it. This is a pretty light bag. It's taking up a lot of space, but I, I can crumble it up and move it. This is probably the biggest bag up here, probably the most delicious. So I can move that, right? This is a pretty pricey piece of equipment. <laughs> Worked hard for this eye piece of equipment, right? But I can move that. And you know what that represents? These are just companies. They're not, I'm not here to bash companies. But what that means is that I, you can make a decision right now because the decision to not be self-centered can happen just like this. Now, it doesn't mean I'm never going to be tempted again to want a juicy, delicious charbroiled hammer. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be tempted to want to go after some of this stuff. But what I am saying is just as easy as that was to move, you can make a decision right now to say, I'm not going to live self-centered. I'm going to let God help me. I'm going to, I'm going to deny myself right now and take up my cross and I'm going to follow him. And then tomorrow I'm going to do it again. And then the next day I'm probably going to be tempted by some other stuff in life that all this stuff represents. And I'm going to deny myself again and I'm going to move it. And as light as that was to move, that's as easy as the decision is to make. 
Self-centeredness crowds our life. And what I began to realize as I was doing this is as you make the decision to follow Christ, as you make the decision to move all the self-centeredness out of the way, you actually prepare a room in your life. You know what this room is for? It's for other people. You have no idea the, the people that God wants to bring in your life to love you. They, they can't because it's you in the way, taking up all the space. You have no idea the people that God wants to bring into your life because he wants you to love them. The people that God wants to bring into your life to bring you joy and to bring you a kind of happiness that you never even thought existed. People that God wants to bring in your life for you to share the love of Jesus with them because without that love of Christ and their knowledge of it, they're dying and going to hell. And it's a reality. And God's saying, I want to use you. God wants to bring people into your life so that they can encourage you whenever you need it the most. There's a crisis coming up in your life and you don't even realize it's coming. And God's saying, I want to bring somebody in your life to come alongside of you and get you through that. But I can't right now because your whole life is consumed with you and there's no space. You have no idea the people that God wants to bring in your life so that you can help one another eventually get to heaven. God's got plans for you. And I'm just here to tell you that those plans involve real relationships and real people, life-giving relationships, just like the ones that he had on earth. And we follow the example of Christ who gave himself up for us. The Bible says that he didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself a servant. He put himself aside and he said he became obedient to God to death, even death on a cross. And he did it because he wants a relationship with you. And I just got to ask you today, are, are you willing to make the decision, that quick decision? As light as those, that stuff was to pick up and throw out, you can make a decision right now to say, I'm, I'm done with self. You're going to be tempted again because we're all selfish, humanly. And tomorrow, he said, do it again. Do it daily. Take up your cross. Decide to starve self. Kill it. And follow me again. I wonder if you'd be willing to do that today. Christ paid the ultimate price so that you could stand before him one day and be clean and be worthy. He paid the ultimate price before we get there. He paid the ultimate price so that you could walk this life and have the strength to do that. It wasn't easy for him. It was difficult. It was hard. I mean, not only what Christ went through, but think about a loving father who watched his only son do that and decided to do it for you. I wonder if you'd be willing to say, I'm, I'm ready to give up myself and I'm ready to lift up the name of Jesus and let him be the center of my life. To make room for the people, not just for God in my heart, but for the people that, because I'm in line with him, the people that he wants to bring into my life because of the space that I've created. Would you be willing to do that? If you will, I just want you to stand to your feet. The, the band's gonna lead us in a song, and the song is saying this, God, forever you be glorified. I know what you did for me. Come on, just stand up all over the room. God, you be glorified. Lord, you be lifted high. I wonder if all over the room, if you could just raise your hands to him, if you feel comfortable doing that, just as an act of worship. This is a, a universal sign of surrender, and it's a good posture to live by. And I just wonder as we pray today, if we could just say, God, I'm, I'm giving you me. I'm putting myself aside. I'm putting my own priorities aside. It, it's amazing. Even when we do have good priorities, it's amazing when God breathes life into them, they provide so much more than we could ever do ourselves. He ends up weeding out the things that, that we don't need, and he begins pouring the things in and breathing new life into the things that we do. And we have absolutely no idea until we're able to come to him and say, God, you be lifted up in my life, and I humble myself. I want to become less. I want you to be greater. So, God, we just lift our hands to you all over this room.
God, all over where anybody is watching this, we're, we're just lifting our hands up to you saying, Lord, you have control. We surrender ourselves to you. Enough with self. Lord, we want to be filled with you, filled with your spirit, God. And we want to represent you well, Lord, but we also want to live in and through, Lord, your love and, and the things that you have for us. So we just give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. There's decisions being made all over the room, all over wherever you're at watching or listening. There's decisions being made. And God, we know you see and we, you hear every single one. I pray for strength as we walk forward. We know it's going to be hard because we're inherently selfish and it hurts. It offends our self-nature. It offends our human nature. So I, I just pray right now for encouragement and for strength. Lord, for a power through only the Holy Spirit to recognize when it is that we're being selfish. To recognize when it is that we're looking after our own needs instead of somebody else that may be standing right in front of us. Sometimes it's the most precious people in our lives that we, we put ourselves first ahead of them. Lord, I pray for a knowledge and a wisdom that we'll be able to see it in Jesus' name. I pray for strength in Jesus' name. There's, there's people in the room or maybe listening to this right now that have never given themselves to Jesus. They've never actually settled the eternal issue. We're talking about some temporary issues while we're still on this earth. But maybe it's the eternal problem that you haven't fixed yet. You haven't settled the issue of where am I going to spend eternity. I want you to know right now the answer is Jesus Christ. Heaven. He, he wants heaven to be your eternal home. And maybe you don't know where you would spend that right now if something were to tragically happen to you. And so maybe that's, that's the decision that you need to make today. Maybe you feel that deep in your heart that, you know what, I need to say yes to Jesus. I want you to know he loves you and he's calling your name right now. And he died for you. He died for you. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. He already loved you before you knew yourself. And he said you were worth dying for. And he's calling your name today, and he wants you to say yes. So I wonder if you'd be just bold enough to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you. I'm not perfect. Pastor Ryan asked the question earlier, and I couldn't raise my hand. I'm not perfect. So I know I can't stand before a perfect God and expect a perfect God to let me into a perfect heaven if I'm an imperfect human being. I need a Savior, and I know you paid an awfully big price to be that Savior for me. You lived a life about 33 years on this planet, and you lived perfectly. I know you really died for me. You took on the wages of, of my sin, and you really died, and you really rose again. I don't understand all that. I don't necessarily claim to be a theologian, but what I do know is that you did it for me, and I accept you. And I aim my heart at you every day. I want to do like the Word of God says and take up my cross daily. I want to deny myself daily and just ask you to help me. And I trust that you're going to let me know enough to do the, end up in the places I need to end up and be who I need to be. And I'm counting on you to do that in me. Eventually, I know I'm going to go to heaven one day because of this decision I'm making right now. And I pray all this and know I'm doing all this in the name of Jesus. Can we say amen together?